Welcome to Ludo Sounds on Entrea Radio. I'm Randy Grovbager from Entrea, and this is our third episode in a series dedicated to showcasing female contemporary sound artists and practitioners. Our aim is to foster an existing network of women working within this field and celebrate their work. And this show recorded live at Landmark with our producer Kara Stewart in conversation with vocalist Stine Janlin Mutlan, sound and installation artist Kusum Nomoil, and saxophonist Mette Rasmussen is just that. We just heard a small snippet of Kusum and Mette's improvisation, and up next we'll hear a clip from Stina's performance of fake synthetic music. Their pieces have been edited, but you can find the complete performances online at rareradio.com. I want to give a large thank you to Art Council Norway for supporting our project and Lammark, our co-presenter of this episode. Hello everyone, thanks for coming. How are you all? My name is Kasum Normoyal. I am from Sydney, Australia, and I'm here for a month, um, predominantly to produce a project with Meta Rasmussen in the landscape of Norway. Extreme kind of noise vocalist amplified feedback, nasty shit, um, in landscapes. I'm Stine, uh, and I'm Norwegian, and uh, third, I do work with my voice also. Hello, my name is Mette Rasmussen, 
and I'm a saxophone player. And I'm Danish, but I live in Norway. I live in Trondheim, where I've been living, situated since, well, for six and a half years, almost seven years. And yeah. I think the coolest thing about you three ladies is that you make a lot of noise. <laughs> Sometimes really brutal, but in a nice way. Um, and I really wanted to ask how you decided that this was the thing that you wanted to make, or like this is, this is the kind of noise, this is my noise, or this is my sound. And um, <laughs> well, I think that I have not, or I mean, because you said, um, <coughs> when I found my noise or sound, yeah. which is, I don't feel like I'm done with that. Sort of try to use the voice in a different way, maybe, than I, like, that I heard before, was through listening to other instrumentalists. And um, I thought maybe that was possible to do with the voice too, like an extended techniques and preparations and that kind of stuff that you find mm. in improvised music a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's like, been a long journey and now I feel it's more um, that I'm more trying to imitate electronic music yeah which is the result of this project that I just presented and, um, so it's all the time kind of development and I think it's yeah this kind of urge to explore and figure out the limits maybe yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I know that both you and Meta are kind of like not classically trained but went to school for yeah. um, perfor performance I want to say um, yeah 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 Jazz school. Yeah. Right? Jazz school. Yeah. <laughs> I started to go to jazz school and then within two weeks I was like, no way, I am out of here. I don't want to play, this is not a, I'm not casting shade on like jazz music. jazz music at all, but it's like, it was very clear to me that within the kind of institutional or conservatorium environment that I was going to be asked to sing dead white, uh, dead, dead black man's music, which was also politically kind of an unsafe vote zone for like a young white girl to be doing um and i was like i want to go to art school so i just completely get got rid mm -hmm. of dots on pages and it's like is that how you found your noise your sound yeah i think that's yeah i mean i had a pretty special kind of undergraduate environment where people were encouraging us to hack everything and open up amplifiers and open up keyboards at a on a kind of um daily basis but one lecturer in particular said to me, why are you using the voice? And I said, oh, well, because I always have. And he said, that's not really enough. Really? Well, but at the time it was, it was a really good kind of um, entry point for thinking around how it is, why it is, what it is that we do with voices. It's like, yeah, I can go to school and I can sing like x y and z but so many other people can do that so like you're saying like how is it that we can kind of um explore ex the external kind of ranges of those, those of the of the tool or mm. the the materiality of the yeah. body and its relationship to things spaces and objects and of course other players and that's kind of like part of my phd research currently at unsw art and design in sydney with douglas khan and exploring the voice's relationship to materials of a wide range of kind of definitions. So this is a kind of material. Mm -hmm. The air is a kind of material. You're a material. You guys are all materials. Um, so, you know, that's kind of 
much more interesting to me in thinking about the voice and the body's relationship to um, music and sound than, say, a pop song. Intellectually, I mean, I... Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most interesting thing about all three of you is that, like, you're so bodily when you perform. Like, you know, if you're using the voice, of course, it's from the body. I read this really... What's in uh, David Byrne's How Music Works? They're talking about crooners and uh, how the microphone really changed how people could sing because all of a sudden it sounded like someone was in your ear as opposed to, like, um, having to amplify your voice in a, in a theatre or something. But I just think it's so nice that the, the voice has sort of moved and mutated and it's kind of gross and... Gr not gross, but grungy and <laughs> gross is not the right way. It's wonderful. <laughs> I love the grossness. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, talking about the body, one of, Cena, one of my favourite works of Cena's is this uh, free, free human frequency transducer. <laughs> Do you want to tell me a bit about that? Oh, subjective frequency transducer. I'm so sorry. It's really <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, actually, I, I performed with it here. Um, Borealis... Uh, booked it for the opening of Landmark last year, or opening of the Kunsthalle, sorry. Yeah, but for the people who haven't seen it, can you maybe tell us about it? Absolutely. Uh, so this, it's kind of, um, well, it's a machine or an instrument. Actually, I'm not sure what to call it, and that's problematic, but it's, it's an instrument that can measure register uh, body frequencies based on the idea that the body contains uh, sound or resonates with uh, sound. Um, and it's coming from this idea that I could maybe use my own body and the sound that might be in there as an accompaniment when I sing. Um, so yeah, after a lot of research I came up or I found these uh, very strange um, esoteric uh, theories or uh, also a scientist claiming that you can heal your body uh, with uh, putting sound into it. Um, there's a whole very diverse uh, school. Um, Super new age. Yeah, very new age <laughs> and very you have to believe it and that's why I decided to call my instrument the subjective frequency transducer because you can't really, mm. I mean, you can't base this on facts mm. and I'm not a scientist and I don't have a lot of money. So I had to sort of, <laughs> you know, um, create this uh, environment that you're allowed to decide yourself what yeah. resonates with, with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do this performance with this instrument. It's about this big kind of, yeah, and then, the idea is that you can lean your body on different surfaces um, and the surfaces vibrate, so there's transducers connected to the surface and, and then you can adjust the frequency so it fits with, with your body. So it, when you lean your arm, for instance, uh, to the surface, you adjust the frequency and then you find like the good frequency that really fits with, with you and what feels right. And then in the end, you can hear, because we do uh, record all the um, frequencies, and then you can hear the, the chords of your own body at the end. Super nice. And uh, not to forget about you, Meta, like I know that you don't work with the voice, but I still think you work with the body in a way. Mm -hmm. And like, how did you get, first of all, into like making 
crazy sax music and, and how do you use your body in that? Well, it's funny because um, the saxophone, just like the singer, is, is uh, like you use the body as, as the chamber of sound in a way. Like it's the body that's producing sound. Uh, so I kind of see the body as the chamber in a way. And then you have the room uh, as you, your tool or you work with the room. Uh, I'm a very acoustic instrument. So miking me up uh, makes me capable of being more noisy and <laughs> being more loud. <laughs> um, and I think noise is, well, it's, yeah, it's also loud, but noise can also just be a sound and a texture in a way. Uh, and I guess uh, I like the, the whole thing of being noisy and textural in, came about in a way of just exploring and wanting to push, um, well, maybe not so much boundaries, but just I wanted to develop and go further with what already was. Uh, so just experimenting and being nerdy uh, <laughs> for hours and hours, just to sitting that's, with them. <laughs> that's a good thing about school, though. Yeah. That's a, right? Because yeah. there's a community or there's like a thing there where you're supposed to go into the rehearsal room and stay there for at least, you know, five hours a day. Otherwise, people would like think you're lazy or something. Yeah. So there's a certain pressure yeah. that, you know, you should learn how to play your instrument, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, also... Which is good. Yeah. Which I is have the a music school or jazz kind school. of relationship to yeah. the voice <laughs> than you got. Like, I don't have... I have went against training and I don't mm. practice ever and I don't warm up and it's this kind of approach to the voice as an anti-institutionalised thing. Mm -hmm. um, like, when I first started to work out how to do what I do, I was on tour in 2009 in Japan and I bled from my throat for a week. And Ew. it was like, Ew. I couldn't talk. And then after that, um, it kind of just, maybe I got some scar tissue and then I now understand how to use what I've got in relationship to amps or microphones or the room right. and um, a whole bunch of thinking that I've seemingly acquired. But I just want to touch on something before we yeah, move yeah, yeah, um, to... Because <laughs> yeah. you're talking... You've, you just started talking about the body's relationship to space. Um, well, both yes. of you, but specifically Stina. Um, and I've been thinking very carefully about a work by um, Alvin Lucier. Hands up in the room if we know Alvin Lucier. Yo, okay. So still in moving lines of in families of hyperbolas, so 1973 to 74. Um, and what he did in this work, um, if, for those of you who don't know Lucia's work, it was always very closely associated with um, audio acoustic and psychoacoustic phenomena. Um, so in this work, he was emitting um, sine waves throughout a space, and then they would hit against a wall and on reflection either pass back through that same wave in or out of phase. And if it's in or out of phase, it will um, create a kind of either a trough or a peak in, in that particular frequency. And what you get in the space is loudness or quietude. Um, and what he was kind of able to do through this um, series of experimentations was to 
um, situate multiple speakers throughout a space, tune them micro-tune uh, tonally to one another, so like um, half, a, half a pitch out of tune with one another, and then play them all at once. And what you'd get is like an incredible kind of what he called landscape of sound. And Joan LaBarbera, who is, of course, the grandmother of um, extended technique, if we like, New York... Um, Christina played this maybe two weeks ago. Yes. So she was interested um, in using her voice to... Like, like you are, I think, um, or like I've kind of heard you describe, to have a different relationship to phenomena and materials. And she was using her voice to push those other tones away by, again, like the other speakers in the space, to tune, tune them microtonally. So um, th that in itself is not something that is scientifically provable. No one knows what actually happened there. And that is why the idea and notion of subjectivity and experience and being in a space is so essential to really understanding what happens in these kinds of things. So it's like, we can record this, that's great. But like being here is so essential and mm -hmm. subjectivity kind of, yeah. So bringing it back to the body over and over again, kind of, it has a kind of a, an importance, a timely one, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the the project that Stina just performed, Fake Synthetic Music, is really kind of all about this in a way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's called Fake Synthetic Music because, as I said, I am I'm imitating electronic music. And I thought that these kind of uh, acoustic phenomena that I've heard in concerts where people use like computers to create these kind of crazy acoustic um, effects. Um, I thought it would be great if I could do that only with my voice. And I do use a, this echo pedal, but I sort of limited myself to that. And, um, and, and it was kind of random, I have to say, <laughs> that I discovered that this could happen because I was just listening to one, t I was singing one tone and then I sing another one with a delay and then I heard this kind of like and I was like, what's that in the speaker or something wrong? And then it's, I've, yeah, it's actually in my ear. And, um, and then I learned how to actually... Uh, well, I'm still learning, but how to control it more and how to create these buzzes um, more um, consciously and, yeah. I'm trying, maybe someday I can make like little melodies and stuff out of it, but it's, yeah. One of the um, things that actually struck me while you're performing is like how you, when you, when you listen to something that isn't so much a, a melody in the traditional sense, you try and sort of say like, oh, it sounds like this or it sounds like that. And uh, I know that you and I were talking, were walking down the street this morning, and uh, we listened to a Bergen. What do you say? Like <coughs> the sound that makes when you're when you're waiting for the lights to change, mm -hmm. like yeah, the green light. Yeah, but I can't do the sound because I'm not used to it. But I remember sort of thinking halfway through your piece, like, oh, this kind of sounds like a Berlin ambulance sound or something, you know? And then yeah. I wonder, like, in these experiments, of course, it's like a lot about you exploring the body, but then how much of it comes from the outside, subconsciously or something, where you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I have this melodic idea in my head, or I have this idea to experiment because I've kind of heard it before and I well, don't really know how. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I, I do 
there's a clear reference to club music, yeah. for instance. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's this guy called uh, Evil, or his, his name is actually Rock. It's not Evil, <laughs> it's, it's Evil with an O. And uh, he, 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 he's, I won't say invented, but he called his music uh, Deconstructed Rave. And I thought maybe, you know, like, actually, because I am very inspired by his work, then I say that my music is inspired by a deconstructed rave. Because it's really just like keeping some elements of what's there in, in the club when you're dancing or just listening. But, you know, like this sort of maybe cheesy melodies and very like even beats and uh, very... Um, if you think about it, it's very intense to spend like because when you once you go to a club, you you stay there for at least you know six hours, yeah. uh, and you're listening to this music at least, at least, <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think also like um, as you say, it's impossible to sort of um, divorce your influences from where you are. You think about the, the acoustic space. Not just oh. the acoustic space, but like, you know, electronic music wouldn't have happened unless there was an influence from industrial sounds, you know. And then sure, yeah. I know that you and I were talking yesterday about what it means to go into nature when you sort of like in a vacuum away from all these beeps and buzzes and grinding sounds. And that causes this break for your ear, but then you can find new sounds or sometimes you find techno music in nature or something you know like could you talk to me about what you felt when you were out in nature and like away from these ambulance sounds and so I was really interested to produce voice sounds in um, like machine sounds as well and I'm a techno producer as well as voice noise person um, and totally understand that space of Choosing singular modes of experiencing sound and honing in on them. Um, and techno is, or club music is a, is a kind of experience of that. Um, and then, so, as is noise for me. And then, so, to go to nature to that, it's kind of a big jump. And I've been playing outside for a long time. I've been doing extreme kind of voice actions using a pure thousand watt pure sine wave converter, a car battery and, and a little amplifier for about 10 years around different parts of the world and creating, making videos and um, interventions and I've played in supermarkets and on trams and on hilltops and um, in graveyards and on street sides and... Um, what you don't get is reflection and enclosure and a sense of space in the same way that we've been discussing now. You get quite the opposite. You get saturation or an absorption of sound, rather. Um, get rid of saturation. And you get loss and you get failure and you get disillusion and you get an emptying out. You know, like when we... We've been playing for a week now across the top of Stavanga. Um, Hadanga Vida. Hadanga Vida, far out. Hi, I'm the tourist. <laughs> By a waterfall, yeah. Scherz, Fossen, you know, the big, long waterfall. 
we were all close by the waterfall. So when the waterfall was so loud that it was a big part of the whole sound. And for me especially, it's um, because Kusum was having uh, a microphone and a guitar amp with her, um, cabled to a car battery. And uh, I was playing through mics, but that was not something we could hear. So a saxophone and uh, reed instruments is, we are very much in the room, like our sound is reflected to the reverb of the room. So if you put me outside, that's just, that's practically, that's just like the body of the horn in a way. I still see nature as a, a room actually. I'm still working with it as a room. But as Kusum said, it's very defeating. You, I was searching for uh, the big wild nature and the big powers that lies in nature and we sure found it because you feel after a small session, you feel defeated because we can't hear, I couldn't hear you. No. It was the first time we'd ever played together. <laughs> yeah, well, Meta, on a mountaintop. Meta that was Hadanga like Vida. Like, um, yeah. Uh, Such a crazy project. A prodigious touring yeah. um, <laughs> saxophonist. And, um, <laughs> and then we kind of met from other sides of the world. Blondie and Blackie on the top of a mountain. <laughs> like, hey, let's play together for the first time. And you plug in and start to play and you can't hear anything. And it's, and like, it's raining. And it's pissing down with rain. <laughs> and my sound card is now broken and my computer's broken. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of searching for a challenging environment, but it really became a much more... Like, you know, it was in challenging ways that we hadn't expected, which of is, of course, what... It's to be expected, but um, yeah, playing outside is interesting. It's almost like it's a trio, you know, like it's not just a duet between two, you're also like competing with this other force that has its own mind and like wants to like pitch in. No, <laughs> it's just there. It's, it's, it's stable in its own sense. It's like where, exactly. yeah. Very stable and very mighty. And I think I'm I'm probably a bit more cosmic about my relationship with music. Um, uh, and I'm I'm for this project. I was searching for. I I think humans in general have become a bit lost. Um, uh, we've moved away from nature, uh, and I think we've lost a lot in that transgression from where we are now to what we were. Uh, at some point many, many, many years ago. And I was kind of, I wanted to challenge that a bit. I wanted to, not a bit, but I wanted to challenge that, that us being in nature with a lot of sound and then surrounded by this grand nature, um, showing the grandness of the nature and the humans as we are, tiny, with all our powers and when we stop, you just have this view, this grand, grandness all around you. And I, I, I feel I really found what I was looking for, or what I was aiming for. Because in a way, we are just tiny. We think we're so incredibly clever and smart, but when it comes down to it, there's all these mountains that are just as smart, <laughs> <laughs> or at least powerful in their own way. 
I'm curious, Kasim, though, like, is, because um, I know you've done not exactly this project, but sort of taking the amp and going into big spaces and sort of playing with them. Was it different to, like, say, um, stuff that you did? Was it in Bosnia? Um, yes, it was different. In what way? Well, like, you what were playing you with these, like, large architectural elements, which are right. still, like, kind of overwhelming physically. Right. And maybe sonically, too. Okay. Um, but, like, what did you say... What would you think is, like, kind of the same? Or, like, what was drastically different between performing in that space versus... Right, okay. So, Kyra's um, referring to a project um, that I undertook in 2011 in which I went to southeastern Bosnia-Herzegovina to visit, visit to produce a work at um, a war monument called Tienteste, which is a commemoration to the Battle of Sutieska, which happened in 1943. It's the kind of stronghold for the Yugoslav partisan um, alliance Yugoslav partisans against the Axis alliance, which um, is Japan, Italy, and Croatia, right? Okay, so Second World War, moving further um, east into Yugoslavia, and it's a site at which 10,000 people died, um, but yet they stopped that kind of... Um, the, the, the movement east, and so... There's a bunch of um, monuments or what have be become to, what, what are known as Spomenik. So Spomenik is the name for, for monuments um, in that region. And um, in 1995, when, the Yugoslav, when, when Yugoslavia was um, turned into a democratic republic, all of the states got kind of, I guess, amount, uh, shifted and redesigned and all of the monuments as a result relative to the politics in that particular place were either cared for or kind of um, shunned or turned away, you know, the, the local community kind of turned away from them. So I went to this one that was like out in the middle of nowhere. It's grey, it should be white. Um, it was commissioned by Tito in 1973, so, you know, like 30 years after the actual battle. And um, I feel like people in this room would probably know more about the politics of Tito than I would. Um, it was I was just going there as a kind of young person looking at this incredible monument, which is like wings out of coming out of the side of a of a mountainside. Um, because it looked like, to me, what I sounded like. <laughs> I was like, hey! And, I was, and my research is very much interested in the relationship of sound, vision, experience, um, noise as a kind of political peak um, in all different kinds of environments. Um, so, like, the bus will always be louder than me, but people will look at me instead of the bus if I'm screaming. So I'm kind of interested in that. Um, difference, if you like. Um, so, yeah, it's a really different project, to totally. answer your question, mm. um, because that's a solo thing. It's kind of political. It's based in a visual culture, um, or at least a, a set of visual questions for me as an artist. And this is much more about um, a collaboration and about Norway and about... 
I mean, I think the idea of of collaboration is is kind of really interesting, and I know that all of you collaborate with so many different people because um, um, I've seen you in so many different iterations, with oh. so many different genres. <laughs> don't collaborate with that many well, people. Well, no, I, you know, I'm but precious. I promise, I'm precious. <laughs> and Stina also, like, um, I kind of know about is it Native Instruments. Um, and how do you think playing solo is different to collaborating? Uh, well, obviously, when you play solo or work solo, you don't have to debate with another person what the music is going to sound like. It doesn't mean that it's easier to do it alone, but it's just different. Um, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, you get feedback, you get... Uh, it's just like a completely different situation. Um, working with uh, Felicity, for instance, um, you mentioned native instrument. It's... it's uh, singular, it's not very singular, yeah. <laughs> it's completely Sing different. Singular <laughs> collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is also Australian, by the way. Um, Felicity, that is. Um, yeah, and that's this concept is that we imitate. Actually, also that's funny. Actually, I should mention that one one important way to find my sound, I forgot to say, is imitation, which is really. Um, I understand this now that that's what I've been doing, <laughs> and I still do it. And also with native instrument, we do adapt uh, insect and animal sounds. So that's what the project uh, is about. And um, yeah, working with her is that she's got other ideas. She's got um, different uh, ways of uh, thinking about music than I do. She's also from an art background, and I'm from a music background. So that's also, yeah, same as you guys. Yeah, you get like this conflict maybe of like using terms differently and uh, having different references. And but it's a really productive zone. For sure, yeah, to it's come, and, and um, it's very... Um, to come into a shared space that is multidisciplinary mm -hmm. and, yeah, shared, of, shared language and kind of modes or methodologies for, for working, I think. Yeah. Actually, on that note, I kind of want to see... Me too. ...this collaboration. Is everyone ready for it? Yeah. All right, thank super. Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ludo Sounds. I want to thank Stina Kasumeta again for putting on such a fantastic night of live performance and discussion. Big thank you to Lonmark and Bergen Hunstall, especially Maria and Krista. Please subscribe to our podcast for new episodes, either on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whichever way you subscribe to podcasts. And keep an eye on our website, entreradio.com, for images of the show and exciting new projects coming soon.
20 separate components to be used in building up speech sounds.